Take out a Bible and open to James 5. We'll be looking at the last two verses. As the story goes, sheep don't get lost on purpose. Sheep go out looking for grass. They see some delicious looking grass and they move over to eat it. And then they see some other grass and they move over to eat it. And they see some other grass and they move over to eat it. And again and again, without meaning to, without a purpose, a sheep can wander away from his fellow sheep. A sheep can wander away from the flock. A sheep could wander away from the shepherd. And now what started off as very innocently hungry, now you find a very, very lost sheep. Friends, the Scriptures use sheep as an illustration for people. Just like sheep can wander away, so can people. That's going to be our consideration today as we finish in the book of James. We'll be considering spiritual maturity and wandering. And in particular, we're going to look at these last two verses and consider two questions. What do you do if you feel like you're wandering? It's an important question. Two... What do you do if you feel like you're watching others wander? Because I think these are really important questions for us to consider. So as we move to the text this morning, let's go to the Good Shepherd who watches over us always to pray. Oh, gracious Father, we are thankful for your word. We're thankful that you use your word to reveal to us who you are. Father, in your word, we're reminded that Jesus is the Good Shepherd who knows all of His sheep by name, and He guides all of them. Father, we're reminded it's the Good Shepherd that lays down His life for the sheep. So this morning as we step into the book of James, would You remind us that we have a Good Shepherd who makes us to lie down by green pastures and leads us beside still waters, who seeks after that our soul would be restored. Father, would it be this morning You would use Your text to shepherd our lives. And would you allow us to hear the voice of our good shepherd, to call us out, to comfort us, even to warn us, to protect us, or bring us home. We pray all of this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Well, we have been in the book of James. We are finishing the book of James this morning. And as we've walked through it, we've seen James who writing to a group of people who've believed in Jesus, and he's calling these believers to maturity. From the very first week, I used the analogy that looking at pictures of your parents and your grandparents and your great-grandparents indicates what you look like as you age. So James gives us these images, these portraits of maturity that we would aspire to, spiritual maturity, that we would see these examples and we would try to live up to them. We would see what God has for us in maturity. And we've seen all kinds of examples, and I won't rehash them all. That's, that's why we have a podcast. But I want to remind you that as James closes his letter, last week we leaned into his push towards maturity and the church. That reminder that we need, that God has actually called us to be a part of a body. And that he's called us to be a part of a body that when we are weak or sick, that we would pray. And it's a communal thing. We'd be praying. We'd be praying for one another and that we would celebrate 
with one another when we are cheerful and we would confess sin to one another. He gives us these exhortations that are meant to be lived out in a community. And in the New Testament, it can only be understood to live out in the church. So James exhorts us to understand maturity in the church. And that part of that picture is understanding that you were not intended to live life alone. You were intended to live in community. You might even say you were intended to live in a flock. It's what God has for us. And so we need people to be a part of our lives. We need people to love us, to encourage us. We need people to help shepherd us as his agents. That brings us to these, to James chapter five, these last two verses. Let me read them to you and then we'll take them apart here in a minute. Last two verses, the book of James. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Now, beloved, I believe this to be a very important text for us. It's Actually, why I separated it out from last week's message. I believe this to be an important text for us, for at this moment in our cultural context, we're living in a time where statistically, there are lots and lots of people who used to be church attenders, who are not church attenders anymore. And whether the pandemic fed that or cultural implications fed that, I know not. And we're living in a time, anecdotally speaking, where you hear people deconstruct their faith. And to be really fair, there could be different kinds of iterations to that. We need to have multiple categories to understand that sometimes that looks like people desiring to separate out American cultural considerations from actually following Jesus, which to be fair could be a very healthy process. We are heavily influenced by our culture, as is everyone else. But sometimes that can also be reconsidering and challenging orthodox beliefs. What do you hold true to be about about Jesus? What do you hold true about the Bible? What do you believe about the faith? What do you believe about the church? And to be honest with you, that could be really healthy too. I mean, there really is a reality that some of us have held on to really weak arguments for the faith, thinking that's the crux of what we believe, when in reality, it's a really shallow picture of why we hold on to the great hope of Jesus. And so there really is a way that some of us need to be able to look at our faith and cast away some stuff we've held on to, to realize that we have a very stout And a very reasonable and well-reasoned faith. Above, do not get caught up in the doubting of this world to believe that our Bible is not trustworthy. It is. There are fantastic and incredible arguments for it. So it can be good to deconstruct in some ways. And in other ways, it can just be an excuse. It can be an excuse for wandering. 
So when that happens, what do we do? What do we do when that happens to us? What do we do when we start to doubt, when we start to question, when we start to even wander? But this passage is going to speak to us this morning. What do we do when people we love wander? This passage is going to help us into a conversation about both. So let's look back at verse 19. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, we're going to pause there. James starts this section with, my brothers, you probably have been worn out on me preaching this. 16 times in his letter, James has used this to affirm the fact that he's writing to believers. Men and women considered to be in the family of God. We need that distinction. It helps us to understand the entire book of James, but it really helps us in this passage. Because when he adds, my brothers, if anyone among you... So if he's got a, a picture of my brothers, if anyone among you, you ought to see that he's looking at the family when he writes this. He's looking at the among yous. You might remember we talked about that last week, that the among you is a plural you, that it rightly, if you're Southern enough, could say anyone among y'all. If you're from Chicago, it could be anyone among you, yous guys. So if you should see James's looking at the church. He's looking inside the church. If anyone among you wanders from the truth. Now we should consider that phrase. This phrase isn't completed, but this is where we're going to pause. Because James is clearly leaving open the possibility that from among us, there may be wanderers. And you can only conclude that if among us, there could be wanderers. Beloved, it could be you. And with any likelihood, it is. There are many wanderers amongst us. Always. And if we're honest, it's all of us, correct? I mean, that isn't that the right application of the gospel? I mean, I do not have a pure motive in me. My heart is always desperately seeking that which the world is trying to sell. And you got to say that's insufficient. You need Jesus. I'm going, yeah, but I, it would help. So some level, we're all wanderers. So what does it mean to wander? Friends, you should know the word used here for wandering This word used here and in verse 20 for wandering appears in the New Testament 37 times. It can mean to stray, but it's actually rooted in the word for to be deceived. Which is to say that it actually gets translated that way. And in fact, in the context of about 20 of its applications, that word is described as to be deceived. Which is to say, you might be tempted to believe you're wandering when in reality, you're being deceived. We had a cat growing up. Her name was Sabrina. She was my cat. She loved me the most. 
I say that because my family listens to the podcast and it'll irritate my sister. <laughs> we used to play games with our cat. Who does that cat love the most? Well, if you're smart, you could get little cat treats and you could leave a little trail to you, right? My cat believes, I'm wondering what, this looks delicious. Who laid the trail? I did. Did the, did the cat wander? Was the cat led? Well, we need to embrace the fact that at some level, wandering is not as simplistic as we might think that it is. We might actually start to consider the fact that when you, somebody wanders, even if it's you that's wandering, in the reality, what you have is the evil one leading them towards some deception. The evil one is feeding lies. And I would argue the evil one is constantly feeding lies. He's constantly feeding you lies. He's constantly feeding me lies. And here's the problem. We believe them. We embrace them. We hold on to them. Now, we may not confess that to one another. But at the end of the day, we hold on to some things that Satan whispers to our ear. Beloved, we must be reminded that what Peter writes in his first letter, 1 Peter 5, 8, and 9, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Beloved, we need to be reminded that those lies are not innocent. That those lies are part of a plan, a plot, and a scheme. And the end game is not your good. It's you being devoured. Beloved, Satan is a liar. He's a deceiver. He works to ensnare you, to trap you. He desires to lead you astray so that he might devour you. So what do you do about that? The gym where I work out, several times a week they program something called prehab. It's a new phrase to me. I've actually learned to like it. It's exercises we do that prevent injuries. So they make us do these weird hip halo movements to strengthen our hip joints. And we do these shoulder flies so that we don't hurt our shoulders. It's preventative maintenance so that you don't get hurt. So the first thing we ought to say about wandering is how not to do it. How do you prehab your wandering? What does spiritual prehab look like? Consider what James wrote in James 4, 7 and 8. Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. James makes clear to us in James chapter 4, how do you keep from wandering? Well, it's to be rightly positioned to God. It's to submit yourself to Him. What does that look like? Draw near to God, and He will draw near to 
you. Love, this is not rocket science. Intimacy with Jesus Christ is devil repellent. Intimacy with Jesus Christ is Satan repellent. That's what James 4 testifies to. It doesn't say be perfect. It says draw near to God. Cleanse your hands. How do you do that? Understand you've got dirty hands. Doesn't say come to God with clean hands. Cleanse your hands. How do you do that? You confess. You're cleansed by Jesus. He's, he's giving you this, this picture. How do you purify your heart? Can't do that on your own. You can't contrive a righteousness from within you. You get that from coming to Jesus. You pursue intimacy with Jesus. You seek Him in His Word. You seek Him in prayer. You seek Him in worship. It's how you avoid the fade. It's how you avoid wandering. And if you start to notice that your desires for these things are fading, and it happens all the time. See, why do you guys say amen to stuff like that? (laughs) Amen. It happens all the time, right? I mean, there are weeks that I... Get open and I hold open my Bible and I hope you don't, you know, judge me all for this, but you, you get out your Bible. It's Bible reading time. Lord, you fill me with your word. I have a great prayer for Lord. Just use your word to just mold and shape my heart. I want to veil myself to you. And you read like three words and like, I, I don't know. I'm not sure if I can stay in it today. I mean, am I the only one this happens to? And yet, It's our consistency in it. Intimacy with Jesus is devil repellent. We need to be reminded that when we start to seek those things fading, as it happens to all of us, but remember the gospel, that righteousness is not ours, it's all His. Which is to say, you have nothing to show off other than what he's done for you. Which is to say that you shouldn't brag about your disciplines as if somehow you're awesome. And so when you come to a lack of discipline, you shouldn't be disappointed in yourself. You shouldn't be tearing yourself apart. You shouldn't be feeling worthless because you're struggling with your disciplines. You should, however, go back to the community of faith. We we saw that in early chapter 5. If you are weak, what does weakness look like? Lord, I, I just don't feel it today. Beloved, that is a great time to call a friend and say, hey, I'm struggling. Could you just pray for me? Could you just pray for me? I, I will tell you somewhat honestly that twice in the last week have I in a just an odd, frustrated moment, ask my kids to pray for me and just confess to my kids I was struggling. Now, my kids are 9, 11, and 13, and I don't think any of them are here. So I can get away with some stuff. That's double checking. I was ruined by their prayers for me. 
asked Claire last night, and I said, Claire, I'm just struggling to figure out how to express this point in the sermon. Could you just pray that Jesus would help me make it clear? And Claire prayed this prayer of faith that was just like, Jesus, would you make it so clear to him that he could get next week's message written tonight too? She's <laughs> like, oh, I just needed a sentence. <laughs> She's praying for two messages. Beloved, we need to have this understanding that we were intended to be in the flock. That we need each other badly. And when in your moment of weakness you believe that it's all about you, that's a lie of the evil one. And when you believe in that moment that the last thing you should do is confess your weakness to another brother or sister, that's a lie from the evil one. And when you believe in that moment that all that's going to bring is shame and condemnation and you're going to look like the lesser brother, that's a lie from the evil one. Oh, beloved, what a church we could have if we could all confess our struggles without fear. What a church we could have if we could all just say and be honest about the fact, I'm struggling today. It is not well with my soul. It's not even close. Friends, one of the main reasons I think the Bible alludes to people as sheep outside of the obvious geographic connections is that sheep are natively herding animals. They thrive in community. They survive. They are protected. They're well-fed. They take care of one another in community. They're intended to be in herds. And conversely, they're in serious danger when they're alone. And we were the same way. And it's not about being extroverted or about being introverted. It's about recognizing that people were intended to be in community. So what God in His eternal plan gave us the church. We might hold each other. We might encourage one another. We might pray for one another. We might even follow each other down the rabbit hole. That's why James ends with saying, if someone wanders from the truth, and someone brings him back. For instance, we ought to recognize that the Lord in His wisdom gives us a safety net. And that safety net is one another. So, to summarize... What does it mean to spiritually prehab? How do you prevent wandering? Two thoughts. Seek intimacy with Jesus and stay in the herd. So what do you do if you wander? What do you do if you've already wandered? I mean, what do you do if you've already wandered? You may be here this morning. Your heart isn't. You're pursuing sin. And not in small amounts. Your desires are for the things of the world and not the things of God. What do you do if you have already wandered? 
want you to know two things, both from the mouth of Jesus. Listen to his words from Matthew 18. What do you think? It's a fascinating statement coming from God. Because you don't think this. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the 99 on the mountains and go in search of the one that went astray? And if he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the 99 that never went astray. So is it not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, one of them wanders. It's the same word, literally. What does a good shepherd do? How does he respond? What do you think? Well, you don't think that. Why? Because Satan is lying to you. You tend to think, well, any good shepherd's going to count as prophets. Why would you lose the 99? I mean, you lose one, that's like a reasonable loss. I mean, it's accounting. It's business. Write one off. Move on. That's not the shepherd's accounting. He doesn't shake his head and dismiss the missing sheep. He doesn't mark the sheep's name off of the list and off his roster and continue with 99. Now Jesus tells us specifically, he goes out searching. He goes off in pursuit. Why? Because he knows his sheep. This precious thing to him is in danger. And it might be innocently wandering. It may just be looking for a good bite of grass. But the good shepherd knows that he's wandering. He knows he's in danger. And he desires for him to come home. He desires to bring him back to the flock. Do you see that? Like part of the restoration is return to the flock. The shepherd doesn't just stay there and hold his one sheep and be like, you know, what if you and I just hang out on this cliff? Brings him back to the flock. Brings him back to the herd. So church, what does that mean? What do we do with that? I think it ought to combat some of the lies we believe. I think it ought to teach us, it ought to show us that our heavenly Father who sent His Son to the cross to die in our place, that our heavenly Father, even having saved us, even though we might wander, our heavenly Father loves us with an unfathomable, unstoppable, uncontrollable love that we might not be able to get our mind around. The kind of love he describes in Ephesians 3. We probably ought to get our mind around the fact that God loves us more than we think. It's kind of like the idea of good parenting. Good parents sets out boundaries for their kids. They love them. We lived in Memphis. We lived on a busy street. My kids would occasionally run across the street. Did I tell my kids not to cross the sidewalk in my front yard because I didn't like them? 
No. And when my kids would run out the street, did I run, go grab them and bring them back into my yard because I didn't like them? No. And did I go get my kids because I knew that the other yard was going to be a lot more fun. They had different toys and they were going to be so much, it was going to be a big blessing over there. Because I tried to keep that from them. No. In fact, I gladly would have picked my kids up, taken them across the street and played over there with them. But they needed protection. Beloved, we need to have this understanding that when the good shepherd loves us, he's really being a good father to us who sees way more than we see and sets good boundaries for us because he really loves us. And when we cross those boundaries, like a good father, like a good shepherd, he pursues us. There's a famous poem from the late 1800s written by a man named Francis Thompson called The Hound of Heaven. The poem is about the love of the father in pursuit of a sinner. If you have mind to read Old English, you can look it up. In this poem, the 184 lines, the author kind of writes about a sinner who's fleeing God. And in the end, in the second to the last line, you, he gets kind of overwhelmed at God. And there's this kind of high moment when he says, when he realizes, I am he whom thou is seeking. I am he who thou is seeking. He comes to realize that God loves him so much that he would pursue him. It's overwhelming. The love of the Father. Beloved, there's a reason why reading your Bible is spiritual prehab. There's a reason why knowing your Bible is important. Because when you read these passages and see these passages, you should be reminded of these passages. And so when you come to chapters like Luke 15, where Jesus wants to make it so clear that he's after the wanderers, he's after the lost, you would know the heart of our Father. In the middle of Luke 15 is a, chap, is a story often called the prodigal son. Many of you know it well. Luke 15, and he said, there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to the father, Father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. This story is familiar. The second son demands his father's inheritance while he's still alive. Friends, to say this is steps beyond wandering would be an understatement. This is all-out rejection. I want what I deserve when you're dead. You might as well be dead to me. Give me what belongs to me. I want it now. The father gives the son his inheritance. It's astounding. The story goes on to tell you that the son goes off to a far country and squanders it. He wastes it on extravagant, lavish, inevitably immoral living. You want to put this in sheep terms? He willfully walks away from a shepherd in search of grass that would fulfill him more. That would be more pleasing. He thinks he's got a better plan than the shepherd. But as this story goes, as Jesus tells it, this 
The second son runs out of resources, has to find a meet his, a way to meet his own needs, gets a job feeding pigs, starts eating pig slop, and then remembers his father. Love, sometimes when we read these passages, you have to see so many different things. But one of the things we should see is, do you not see that the world is offering us pig slop? Like, that's what the world is offering us. That's so often what we're going, you know what I need? Pig slop. It made me feel so much better. Raise your hand if pig slop has ever really made you feel better. Does it work for any of us? And yet, lies of Satan... We believe it. While eating pig slop, the second son remembers his father, who his father is, how his son, as the father treated his servants, and decides he might as well return to try to be a servant of his father. So having rejected his father, what do you think his father is going to say? Don't think about your father. Think about your heavenly father. What's the response of our heavenly father? Because Jesus is telling us this story. He's telling us this story on purpose. So that we would see, we would understand. We'd have a sense of the heart of the father. It's not the story I would have written. I don't believe this. Jesus does. Verse 20. About the father. And he, the second son, arose and came to his father. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Verse 22. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand. And shoes on his feet and bring in the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this, my son was dead and is alive again and he was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Friends, if you should wander, be aware that Satan is filling you with lies. If you should wander, be reminded that what the world is offering you is pig slop. And when you chase the pig slop and you realize the pig slop is no longer as filling as you thought pig slop would be. Because that's the moment, right? That's the moment where the second son stands there and goes, this is not all it was cracked up to be. The problem is many of us sit there and go, yeah, but I deserve this. Without thinking about the father. I preach this so you know about the father. You'll be reminded about the Father. You'll be built up in realizing who the Father is. The Father wants the Son back desperately, regardless of how far He's gone. Son wishes Him to be dead. Father still wants Him back. Jesus is trying to paint the picture for you. It doesn't matter how far you go. It doesn't matter how bad it gets. Doesn't matter how long it's been. The Father is waiting. This is why he's still way off. 
His father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. We need to have this picture of, of a God who cares so much about us that he would pursue us when we flee and wait with open arms for us to return. For some of us will wander. And some of us will wander far. And some of us need to be reminded as this young man was, that you'll be treated better in the house of your father. We need to have that sown into our hearts. For beloved, that's the gospel. Not that you will be forever faithful, but that he will be forever faithful. And our hope is in the heart of the Father. Not in the quality of our repentance, but in the heart of the Father. So what do you do? You can spiritually prehab. You can set about the conditions in your life so that you don't wander. What do you do if you wander? Well, remember the heart of the Father. And then the second point, which we'll land on here. What do you do if you know someone is wandering? Well, one, I would say we should remember everything we just said about if you wander. It's not an accident. Satan's lured them away. We should remember it's the heart of the Father to pursue them. It's the heart of the Father for them to return. And then we should remember the last part of James's words. My brothers, if anyone among you from, wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. If anyone wanders, someone brings him back. Do you see agency in that? That the flock has agency that God the Father who loves and wants to pursue people will take people and send them in pursuit of people. We're to see agency. In that, when Jesus says the shepherd leaves the 99 to go after the one, there's a spiritual reality to that, that God is spiritually pursuing people. He will put a weight on their soul to draw them back. He will put a hardness to some of the things they're walking through to bring them back. But he's also going to raise up his people to pursue the wanderers. That's what James is pointing to. What do you do if you're wandering? Man, know the heart of God and know we're sending somebody for you. Beloved, we need to believe when James writes and somebody brings him back that that's our job. That's the job of the flock. That's the job of the herd to physically manifest the Father. We believe in a Jesus who incarnated himself, became like us. So we get to incarnate Jesus by pursuing people. Somebody wanders, we 
chase. It's what we're supposed to do. Now, if you will allow me to synthesize these passages a little bit. Now, James and Jesus, he's not here. I'm going to make pull off some synthesis. We'll see if it'll get me somewhere. When James says somebody wanders from the truth and somebody brings him back, James is not saying, hey, do him a favor and like go guilt him a lot. Like go bring the conviction. Make sure they know how guilty they are. Like just wallop them with truth. You know, if you pay attention to the story of the prodigal son, God does not tell the story of the guy who came along and walloped somebody with truth. In fact, the prodigal son came to his own conviction. This is worthless. Love, there are going to be times you're pursuing a wanderer. You're going to have to be really patient because they are going to have to come to the conviction that this doesn't work. And it's in that moment they need to be reminded of their father. It's in that moment where they need somebody who's walked with them through the muck to say, you know how badly we'd love to see you? Do you know how much we love you? How much the Father loves you? Can I remind you of the gospel? But there's a, a way we could see these passages and put them together to understand that God sends us out to love, to encourage, to remind people of the Father. We had a love people who are wandering. We ought to greet people who are wandering. We ought to kiss them on the cheek. That's a biblical phrase. You can do it if you want. We ought to welcome them in the name of the Father. But we ought to recognize we cannot bring conviction to their soul. God the Father is the only one who can do that. But we ought to love them. Because as James tells us, as he testifies to us, if anyone wanders from the truth and somebody brings them back, verse 20, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. What does that mean? James is trying to testify to you that if you pull somebody back from the edge, it's going to have an impact on their life. If you pull somebody back from the edge, they may well have gone over. And they don't. You're going to save them from all kinds of sinning. You're going to save them from giving themselves over to a life of sin. James is making a a good work to realize that God is trying to send us out on purpose. Just to be clear, he's not saying that your action is going to save them. Jesus alone could save them. But your action of reminding them that only Jesus saves could be salvific. Love, we need to be reminded, Romans 2.4, it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. We need to be reminded that it's God the Father God the Son and God the Holy Spirit who cares more about these people than we do. And it's God who's in pursuit of them. And it's God who uses His body 
as agents to pursue them. So as James finishes his letter calling us to maturity, we should see and understand that they, we will all have seasons of wandering. All of us. And the way we do that, the way we prevent that is by pursuing intimacy with Christ, by staying in the flock. The way we endure that is by being reminded of the heart and love of our Father. And the way we pursue people in that is because it represents God's mission and heart for them. So, beloved, we're to be reminded that we are sent to chase wanderers. It's God's heart for us. Let me pray for us. Fathers, we finish James 5. We're reminded of the gospel. Father, that you sent your son for sinners, of which all of us are. Father, would you use your gospel truths to remind us of your great love for us, the heart you have for us, that despite the fact that Satan constantly tries to lie and deceive us, that we're held in Christ. Father, would you make us a people who pursue intimacy with Christ? Would you call us into richer disciplines, not so that we could be disciplined people, but so that our love for Christ would grow and our intimacy with Christ would grow? And God, when we struggle in that, would you allow us to to be a part of and build a community that's just honest about that, that we could hold one another and uphold one another and encourage one another? Father, when we wander, would you send us after one another? All the while, Father, reminding us of this great love you have for us. Jesus, we're so thankful for this book of James and all these pictures of maturity you've given it. May it be true in our lives. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.